Welcome to Stream Detroit. I'm Mike McClintock with my co-host Brad Fox. Uh, today we've got Jason Jedlinski, who's the VP of Marketing at uh, 12 Fold. Welcome. Thanks Hello. for coming on the show. You bet. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me. You'll hear uh, not only the people mover in the background now, but some thunder, probably some raindrops because there's copious amounts of rain out there and it's 105 degrees. So I'm going blazerless. This is our first episode. I, don't, I hope that's not going to wreck the whole entire thing. It's probably all going to go off the rails right now. Yeah, just tell me you're going to keep the shirt on, though. Just for, also hey, for the record. I'm not promising, you know? I mean, you know, we need, if it's good for ratings, then uh, I might take it off. Temperatures like these, you never know. You never know. You can never get yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, thanks for coming on. What? Uh, tell us a little bit, you know, about 12-fold. I love the idea of the intersection of big data, natural language processing, and marketing, and all the kind of stuff that you're doing. You guys are doing a lot of stuff. Yes, it's pretty cool. We are. Yeah. We're, we're sort of at the intersection of uh, some of the greatest things happening in advertising right now. But we see ourselves as bigger than just advertising or ad targeting. Mm -hmm. What we really do is we measure digital content for relevance. Mm -hmm. We understand what a page or a video is about. And we use that right now to help marketers get the right message to the right person at the right time. It's kind of the classic you know, goal since the Don Draper days of advertising is right. help me make sure my ad gets to the right person. So, but, uh, so that means you're trying to figure out what they're uh, what they're looking at, you know, and saying, well, if he's looking at X, then maybe we should show him X. You got maybe it. Maybe X is the wrong word. Maybe I'll go with a different. How about, word. How about bicycles? Bicycles. There you go. Or we're in Detroit. Cars. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but yeah, we we believe you are what you read. And so mm -hmm. if you're on a page about the fuel efficiency of a 2016 model, you didn't get there by mistake. It's, right. You're probably right. looking at a new car, considering a new car. So, you know, we've all been in those situations where a plane ticket or a piece of clothing or something else follows you around the web and even now can cross to your phone. It's like, hey, I was looking that up on the web and now right. I'm, on right. the, I'm on the train and it followed right. me there. It's lost the sense of context. You know, there's right. a lot of technology that's got user targeting down. I know this is Mike's tablet. I know, but we've forgotten an advertising message has to be relevant. It has to speak to what you're doing right now. Why would it get noticed? And in a way, we're trying to kind of, you know, we, we're putting life back into the banner ad by saying these things actually could be clicked on if it was relevant to the page you're reading. Your eye might go over there and notice it. In fact, right. not might. It does if it has something to do with what you're looking at. Right. So instead of trying to figure out that I think Joe is looking for a uh, Model T. Yep. You're, you're just saying, look, if they're reading a Model T article or looking at a Model T video, uh, then they're probably interested in Model T's. So is that, is that kind of really, that, that's it in a nutshell what you're doing? You just gave well, That's the, a really good idea. Why isn't everybody doing that? Uh, there's a number of people that try doing that yeah. uh, with keywords or directories or other things that uh -huh. sort of approximate content. Right. Uh, but the bulk of the spend today uh, follows just a traditional pattern. People, right. Right. people have been buying content or buying media based on the ratings of a show, based on the demographics of a magazine, based mm -hmm. on who do we think goes to Forbes.com or Car and Driver for right. you know, longer than there have been websites. Right. So there's a lot of habit built up into doing things that way. But I think mm -hmm. the biggest reason people aren't buying relevance in a media plan is they're, they're fished in by the lure of, I know who's on the other side of the screen. That's what they think. They think they, they're guessing. And in fact, most of the marketers we talk with and the ad agencies know yeah. it's a lot of BS. Mm -hmm. They know if you go and buy, I want to buy, I want to reach car buyers. Right. I want to reach new moms. I want to reach newlyweds. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows they're kind of getting a mixed bag. Yep. It's opaque. You don't know what's inside it. Who says they're in the market for a car? Who right. says this is a newlywed? You're just going on faith. 
but it feels right to go and say, hey, I'm being super efficient. I'm just buying women 25 to 54 in the suburbs who've had a kid in the last year. Right. What if there's a, I don't know, 24-year-old guy who happens to be wanting to buy that car? Well, he's not a woman 25 to 54 in the suburbs, so you never show him the ad. Right. And it's flawed in a few ways. And 90% of those women that are in that demographic don't want a car anyways. Precisely. Or while they're reading that article, they definitely, you know, they're just, you know, they don't care. They're looking at, you know, I was was just going to say recipes, but that's just just so wrong. Uh, We can think of something else. (laughs) We can edit that out. (laughs) But, you know, recipes is a great example where... You know, you said, so why aren't people doing this? A lot of folks who try to say, we're going to put an ad about the page, they'll go and look for a keyword. So they'll say, all right, I'm I'm looking for things that have whipped cream in them because they're a recipe. Well, what you end up happening is, you know, 12 people sick at this restaurant with food poisoning. Here's a coupon to go eat at the restaurant. Ready with, right? You know, or, uh, you know. So you can't do it with keywords. You can, but I mean, I'm sure it it's going to backfire. But right, but you can't just do it with keyword because you just gave a perfect example of why you can't. So, so how does that? How's it work? How, how do you figure that out? How do you figure out relevance? Our art. It is. Uh, we we've got a team of smart scientists that essentially unpack the text of a page, uh-huh. not just the headline, not just the URL, not just you know what do we know about this, but we're actually looking at the body. We're, like a search engine, Google, Yahoo, Bing, we scrape a billion URLs every month. And we actually store the text on our servers saying, even if that page were to change, we'll go back and fetch it. But, you know, we've now got our copy of that text. Mm -hmm. So then we mine it and we try to say, who was it written for? Who would be reading it? Mm -hmm. And in your recipe example, there's a big difference between someone who's doing an easy meal for the family on Tuesday night. Yeah. uh, Someone who's trying to impress the in-laws at Thanksgiving with a big feast. And someone who is a professional chef looking for inspiration. They all read recipes. If you just say, I'm going to go buy recipes to yeah. sell Bisquick, you'll get all three of those people, right. but you probably just want the guy doing a quick, easy meal for his kids on Tuesday night. That's a great point. So we can look at the language of them and say, this is written for an easy family meal, where this is a three-hour recipe that's meant for, you know, right. you know, a first date or something like that. We're drilling way farther down. We are. Way farther. So it's not just, you know, taking words and assuming it's a lot of assumptions, right? So maybe you could say this traditional advertising, digital advertising is... Faith-based, I hate that. It was like a classic. It is, but you know, I find it really interesting because you know we talk about that. You know, there's a huge difference between relevance and differentiation. You have to have both, right? So, differentiation is a square wheel. It's that's certainly different than a round wheel, but it's not terribly relevant. So, in a lot of ways, people are maybe they're they're firing ads at square wheels when, in fact, they want somebody who wants round wheel with studded tires or something. So the relevance piece, I think, is, a, is an art, and it's a little bit of art and science, of course, as you guys know, but I, I think that that is, like, it's, it's lost in a lot of cases, that whole relevance thing. It's like, they think it's relevant, but yeah. it's not. What, what happens a lot of the time is the brand marketer has more data than ever about their customer. They have all kinds of purchase, I mean, here in Detroit with auto, you've got the dealers every now, so maybe they don't know as much, but through warranties, et cetera, you know a lot about who's buying your product. You can profile them. The CMO probably has a cardboard cutout saying, here's Sally, here's what she reads, here's what she does, here's what she cares about. But too often what happens is when that makes it to a media plan for advertising, it gets abstracted down to something that's easy to buy, a demo, a publication. Uh, You know, they read Car and Driver. They go to U.S. News and World Market Shopper, right? And Market Shopper. Without all the nuances of what that brand really knows about them, saying, you know, 
if someone is buying oatmeal for a healthy family breakfast, they don't spend their whole day reading about lower sugar breakfast or alternatives to cereal. That parent is reading, and this is a real example for a campaign we ran, that parent is reading about bullying in the classroom, tutoring, you know, things like that. Just because those pages have nothing to do with food or breakfast doesn't mean that the parent reading that isn't in the right mindset, caring about, you know, they're not looking up stocks, they're not writing a report for their boss. At the moment they're reading that page, they're thinking about the health and wellness of their family. Are what better these, time to go and graph? reach are you, are you guys building that yeah. graph of it? I mean, really, it seems like that's a perfect, uh, a lot of, there's a lot of data there. You're turning it into information by connecting those dots. And it's information about content as opposed to us pretending it's information about people. So the distinction is someone else is going to come out and oh, say, right, 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 Mike right, read right. this and then Mike read that. Right. And we're saying, hey, GM, hey, Ford, whoever it is, we'll help you find the types of content where your message resonates best. Right. Is it pages about vehicle safety? Is it fuel efficiency? You know, for a pickup truck, is it hunting and fishing and outdoor? Rodeo it may have nothing to do with trucks, right. but is that a place where your message is seen by people who are motivated to engage on it, click on it, read more? So we're, we are exactly, we're mapping what content do your customers read? And better yet, what content are they reading when they choose to hear you, to interact with you, to go down a path with you? So, yeah, so it seems like a much better way to align with your, with your affinity colors, right? You know, we know that, you know, having worked in this business that, you know, any car, vehicle line or any product for that matter has kind of pillars that they align with, whether it's music, technology, kids, rodeo, whatever. So this would be, you know, I would think a very a much more um, interesting, efficient and relevant way to, mm -hmm. to kind of uh, for marketers to get their content aligned with what is relevant to their target market. Because they couldn't even come up with those personas. You know what I mean? I mean, they just couldn't do it. There's just too many of them. By turning it on its head, all of a sudden, now you've got right. all kinds of information that's emerging from that. And cool. You can just say, you don't, you don't have to know it's Sally. It doesn't have to be cardboard cutout Sally, right? It's, you know, right. we know that the people who are interested in this truck, this is what they're doing. This is where they're at. We, we like to start with the cardboard cutout Sally because... The marketer is close to their customer. They say, you know, people uh, like this, they keep buying a Mercedes or they keep buying, you know, whatever it is. So we're, we're going to, uh, you know, we want people who look like them. Right. So sure, tell us what you know about them. Tell us what zip codes they live in. Not that we're going to go to try and find cardboard cutouts of them, but it helps us, you know, begin to narrow where should we look? What, what pillar should we surround? Um, to your point about pillar marketing, I was just going to pull up, you know, some of our infographics. We do stuff in real time to illustrate, this was one we put out today about the Tour de France, saying we looked at you know, attention around the riders in the race, not what was written about them, not what was shared on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, but consumption. If you think about it, we're listening to 30 billion ad impressions every day across the internet. Unlike everyone else, we're not saying, what IP address did it come from? Who's on the other end of that glass? We're just saying, what was the URL? What do we know about that page? So we can listen for very you know, niche and interesting things. Again, you're not gonna find a keyword for TJ Van Garderen, right? So we can listen in a way that's custom to the marketer, custom to their pillars, custom to their goals, and in real time to say, I don't care about content creation, don't really care about social sharing for this purpose because I can't put an ad around a popular tweet, I can buy ads in the tweet stream, et cetera, but places I can activate, Pages I could actually put an ad on 
In this case, here's a set of headlines about the Tour de France. Casual fans are reading things like this. Diehard racing fans are reading things like this. These are pages you can run and it adapts in real time. So if there's a big news story breaks, if there's a product recall about you know uh, airbags, a competitor can jump on that and say, everywhere that AP story runs, from Bloomfield Hills to Sacramento to New Orleans, I wanna be on that article. You'd never buy the New Orleans Times Picayune for Ford, but if there's a Nissan airbag recall and they want to conquest it, mm -hmm. all right, give us five minutes, you'll be up and running on that. So, that, so that's maybe a good segue to talk about how you guys operate kind of in the digital media ecosystem. So for the first time ever on mm. Big Digital Thinkers, wow. we, we thought we'd bring up the, the Lumiscape. Dun, dun, Is this where I go? Dun, dun, dun. Some, of our, some of our listeners and uh, viewers may have seen this before. It's, it's a great way to contextualize the ecosystem, the digital media ecosystem. Historically, you know, to get a message from the marketer to the consumer, there was basically in this in the middle was were publishers, whether it was TV, radio, outdoor, you know, smoke signals or whatever. It was a very fairly simple, uh, very simple way to get to connect the marketer with the consumer. Now you have this in digital media. So, so Jason, tell us a little bit about where Twelvefold fits in this ecosystem and kind of maybe along the way describing some of these little boxes. We don't have to you know, dive down in there, but where do you guys fit into that ecosystem to help connect a marketer, i.e. Ford, GM, and Toyota with consumer cut, cut out cardboard salary? So we are sort of in the middle of the sandwich that you see here. Uh, again, brands on the left going through ad agencies to buy media, uh, you know, banners, pre-roll advertisements could be you know the thing that plays before your YouTube video what have you, mobile, uh, all different formats. The agencies kind of manage the spend. They go through a set of technology saying what to buy, where to buy, who to reach, uh, ultimately getting out to publishers, the websites those ad appear on, who have their own set of technology here in the blue column that are helping them decide what ad should I put on, what ad's gonna pay me the most, what ad is gonna get you know the Detroit Free Press the most bang for its buck all before the brand marketer can actually talk to the consumer. And what's amazing is this is all happening you know, in the fraction of a second it takes your page to load. So when we talk about our decisioning of, you know, is this recipe right for Kraft or is this page right for Ford, we have 10 milliseconds, the same 10 milliseconds anyone else does here to, to make that decision. So it's, it's staggering the amount of intellectual horsepower that just is behind this whole industry. So the middle of this, you can think of as audience discovery. Uh, who am I reaching? Where am I going to reach them? Where am I going to find them? And that's facilitated by uh, DSPs and ad exchanges, which are kind of the clearing houses or auctions where ad impressions are up, up for sale. Um, there was a perception a few years back that this is the unsold junk, the ad at the bottom of the page, the stuff no one wanted would get put out like a garage sale. The cheap stuff. Right? Exactly. So, and, so you could reach a, you know, a low CPM goal to get as much bang for your buck theoretically as possible. And these days, what's being traded there is the majority of, well, the growing majority of inventory because, you know, with people who are buying based on cookies, buying based on someone who says they know Mike is on the other end of the screen, they're saying, you know, I've sold this to the local car dealership for $10 a thousand. But if this is a diabetes patient and there's a pharma company who wants to spend $30 a thousand to reach him, 
Well, I'm going to say this one page to this one guy. Sorry, local car dealer, you're not getting him. The drug company's coming in. So more and more publishers are putting even their home pages, the top premium stuff in here just to test the waters and say, what could I get for this page? Which has changed, I mean, just drastically in the last five years. You know, it's traditionally even in the digital, uh, kind of within the digital world, you know, ad or ad networks, um, that was kind of the traditional place or exchanges. Now you have you know trading desks, ATDs, agency trading desks, and DSPs, DMPs, yep. and it's it's constantly changing. But it's interesting to see the growth because typically, to your point, Jason, that you know historically it was like okay, well, let's just all the stuff that we can't sell, the stuff that crap that's at the bottom of the page, off to exchange as it goes. And hey, we'd rather get you know a two dollar CPM than, than rotten tomatoes. Okay. But that's changing because publishers. By the way, I think the other part from the publisher's perspective is that they're saying. You know, if we're putting more and more inventory, they don't necessarily have to support a, a large, a larger sales staff. Correct. So they save on commissions. They raise their yield. Uh, there's a lot of incentives for them, and they've realized that there's another data stream besides the cost of the ads as revenue coming to the publisher. They can push what they know about the consumer, and they can say, "Hey, Brad read these five articles on Inc. or Entrepreneur.com this month. That tells you he's X, or we think he's X." So they're reselling through, uh, you know, partly through data suppliers, partly through SSPs. They're segmenting their audiences, saying, gone are the days where an ad network would say, you're selling mutual funds. So here's a family of finance sites, sort of on faith-based. Anyone coming to these sites is probably a mutual fund buyer or owner, so have at them. They're going a step farther, really slicing and dicing their inventory. Yeah, that's cool. So you guys kind of operate in that kind of center segment, if you will. So like, for example, if somebody said, came to, uh, you know, one of your sales staff like Bonnie and said, you know, we, we really like what you guys are saying. How does the, how does the media transaction look, you know, versus the traditional, here's an IO, buy a bunch of media, put the ads out there, analytics and all that stuff in the back end. What does a media transaction look like? Are you guys in the business of buying from the exchanges media or is it something you guys, hey, look, this is our data pool. Or is it just purely a data play? What does that look like for you guys? Yeah, it's, it's the former. It's the traditional I.O. that you described. So a brand will come to us and say, we're trying, you know, for Tier 2 Auto, we're trying to, you know, promote this new model that's coming out. We want to highlight its safety features. We want to highlight its fuel efficiency. We want to highlight X, Y, Z. Our brand strategy team would work with them saying, we think this is the type of content where you'd be successful reaching people. Um, and we propose uh, what we call content targets. It's our version of an audience segment like car intenders or newlyweds or women 25 to 54, to us, it's, you know, it's segments of content, it's types of content, you think of it as topics. So we go and we put a dollar amount on each topic and we weight it across desktop or mobile or, or video pre-roll, and then we optimize to see what works. Where we get up and running and, you know, within a week we're able to start saying, where were we seeing great performance? Where were we seeing a lot of scale? Uh, we can forecast it in advance, but until we see that intersection of how does their ad, how does their creative really mesh with the page, is it resonating with people or not, uh, we don't have you know, the ability to, to make that strong recommendation until we're in flight. So we start with the loose target, and then as we go, we refine it and narrow and narrow and hone in on performance, saying what worked best, and we just buy that in, in spades. So to answer your question, I consider us kind of this DMP is a you know data provider, someone who's basically many of these companies just saying, I know this about Brad, or I happen to know this is Brad's phone, this is Brad's laptop, they belong together, you need me to join those pieces. 
cross-stream, which is, you know, it's a buzzword, but it's certainly, it's a, it's an evolving rapidly yeah. uh, phenomenon in, in our space. And I, I do have a question about mobile, so we'll get, that, sure. we'll get to that in a second. So those are our peers in that category, are people who say, I know she's a newlywed. I know she's a parent. I know he's a car intender. We're saying, we know what the pages are about. How about you talk to us and we'll find you great pages to run on. So we provide a different type of data. Today, most of our revenue comes through a managed service model where, as I said, someone comes to us, they've got a budget, we recommend how to spend it, and then we go through DSPs and the exchanges and we go buy that. We don't have any relationships with publishers directly. We don't have any preferred deals with anyone. So it's we're agnostic. That can be expensive as well, right? If you have a dedicated team to I mean, direct publisher relationships and you know, work for a, a network that prided itself on not buying from exchanges and so forth, who shall remain nameless. But one of their, that was a key differentiator because they could say, look, we have direct relationships. We're not buying media from that undifferentiated pool. Right. Some people might back then would say the cesspool of undifferentiated media, sure. the remnant stuff that you know, the crap nobody wants to buy. But they prided themselves on the fact that, hey, look, we have direct relationships. We have buyers that have these hand-picked relationships with great publishers. So there's, there's certainly some value there. In fact, they, that's kind of how they differentiated themselves from a lot of the networks in that space. Um, but to I, my point is that to develop that kind of a staff, there's kind of two sides of the traditional ad network is right. buy and sell, right? So you have, that's a big staff. And you're, for, to your point, it's like if you're buying from you know, these you know, exchanges and so forth, where you don't necessarily have to have a staff of 10 to 15 people right. who are you know, managing those relationships. I'd argue it's more neutral too, because in that relationship, that staff of 10 to 15 people, they're getting wined and dimed, they're rewarded, they've made a minimum commitment, they've brokered a deal, they've said, I'm gonna buy 5 million impressions from you this quarter, where we're saying, we owe no one anything. We have no friends, we have no enemies, we're gonna go out there and go and say, you're looking for pages about fuel-efficient cars. Guess what? A blogger in Kansas City just wrote a post about fuel-efficient cars that, for whatever reason, struck a chord. Maybe, you know, a senior columnist, a car and driver retweeted it. Everyone's going to this page. That team of 15 people and their precious relationships, while it's great to get affordable inventory on the big brand names everyone knows, it's going to miss that opportunity. So now for, I don't know, maybe 72 hours, there's a tidal wave of active shoppers going to some person's blog in Kansas City. Well, we're able to look at it with blinders on saying, is the content relevant? Is it somewhere you'd want to appear? Is it quality? Is it, you know, some, we, we only buy off of a strict whiteness. So it's kind of, we're saying at the outset, we're only even scoring or considering sites that you'd feel okay being on. So from there, you know, that, that airbag recall example, how many neighborhood publications are all around the Detroit area? Or how many small town newspapers are there in Iowa, Minnesota, and Tennessee? You know, pick your state that would never come to light in that other example. And it's really the technology that's let that happen. If we couldn't cherry pick just that AP story about the Nissan airbag recall, you wouldn't want to be on those small newspaper sites. But because we can cherry pick it. It's almost like the difference between Yahoo and Google back in the day, where it's like, you know, Google was just more relevant because it didn't care about all the relationships or who was being paid or what was premium content or anything like that. It's just give me the right answer. The search, you know, I'm searching for a 2015 Ford Mustang. It's a keyword search, right? That shows, I mean, theoretically, it shows intent. It could also indicate charlatan shoppers who are mm-hmm. people who just want to look at pictures of the new Mustang. Yeah. Or want to, you know, it's 
it's like car porn in a way. Like people just want to look at awesome pictures of cars. Not necessarily could be indicative of the person who's shopping. Yep. But there's other keywords like you know best deal on 25th. That's mm -hmm. a different story. But if somebody's just keyword searching for 2015 Mustang, yeah. you don't necessarily know what the context is. Right. And your point is terrific. As you said, the search itself gives you a lot of insight into their intent. So this is the closest thing. Search doesn't give you a lot of creative freedom because mm -hmm. you know you have AdWords or something else appearing on the binary, page. Right? This is the closest thing to search for premium content, for right. you know pre-roll, for something else like that. Mm -hmm. You're on this page for a reason. We know who this page was written to. We're going to match that relevant ad with it. And your Yahoo Google example, I think, is useful in, in another way where Yahoo, you know, what, 20 years ago was this big organized directory. Right. I want to go to finance. I want right. to go to stock market. I want to go to this. They organized that hierarchy. Based on a, who paid them. A lot of these people here, based on who paid them, are organizing a hierarchy. They've mm -hmm. said, I have new car buyers. I have luxury car buyers. I have sports car buyers. How do they define luxury? How do they define sports? Mm -hmm. Do you agree with it? Do you not? Most Somebody importantly, they're not being visible about it. You don't know what definition they used. Curious about, and I, I just thought of this because of you were talking about indexing and hierarchy. How do you guys think, you, two things, before I get to my own chat about mobile uh, in a minute, but how do you, what about hashtag, right, as a way of hierarchy and, and uh, indexing, right? So that's like a big way of hashtag Mike's 39th birthday go to the party.com. Right. So if people, are, people are organizing in terms of hashtags. It's really Twitter, old though, it's, that hashtag. It's a really, really old hashtag. But so, are you guys thinking about that? Like, as a as a way of contextualizing and hierarchologically organizing? But I guess my point is like that's, that's a hashtag. That is as is hashtag high five. Um, that's not important right that now. Is. So, like thinking about like hashtag and how consumers, especially particularly younger consumers, yeah. like Instagram and Twitter and Tumblr, hashtags are not boss, but they're in a way it's a way, great way to start thinking about as a marketer, or advertiser, or uh, a supplier, for that matter, about how do we, how do we, how could we generate a product or a solution around that? Yeah, we are not looking at social data or referral data today, but I think that would be fascinating to say what are the URLs that are you know being linked to with a certain hashtag, uh, be it a funny hashtag, a serious hashtag, what have you. It's a great taxonomy to kind of organize mm -hmm. the web. How are people sharing content? Um, we we are taxonomy agnostic where we don't organize things by any vocabulary or any dictionary so that if someone comes to us and says you know basically the way we work is we we agree on a set of articles and we say do these articles look like where you want to find your audience mm -hmm. and then we find tens of thousands that look just like them so today we've got this very custom model that lets your definition of fuel efficiency and your definition of fuel efficiency can be very different. Mm -hmm. We don't have an entry called fuel efficiency. We don't even have an entry called cars. It's come to the table with what that campaign is about, what the ad shows, what you're trying to do this month, mm -hmm. and let's find content you know, unique to that. So in a way, it's almost even this creative optimization, right. which it takes is experience in people in order to be yeah. able to make that. It's not just artificial intelligence. It's actual, like real intelligence. Yeah. Real it's like humans? Wet, it's like wetware. Humans? Well, that's very interesting too, because now you're taking that whole artificial intelligence part of it, and then actually thinking about it from a context that it's like collective intelligence. It's like this is—we don't care why people are there. We don't have to predict it. We just—they are—they're there. Yeah. So this is how we can then find 
we can scale this to everything. And you know, we, we don't use cookies, we don't track the idea of your phone. And the way I describe it to people is we don't care where you've been. Yeah. We're not trying to predict where you're going. Mm-hmm. All we know is where you are now. And we we found that to be a really reliable indicator of what, what's on your mind, much like the search data you're talking about, mm-hmm. the search you just typed into your phone or, or somewhere else. And that's interesting too, because you know, even in the course of a given day, you, you might have 20 different things on your mind. And you don't really care about that uh, rent you were looking to buy. Yes. At, 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 you know, right after at any given point of the day. But at some point, you're going to come back to that to be interested in that. And then you're saying you can say, wait, we'll put that ad out. Not only are the are, is, do we think this is person in the market for it, but we think that they, they actually care about it right now. Right. And that that rent that's pretty powerful. That wrench that was relevant two hours ago. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that nature of the creepy retargeting that causes people to clear their cookies or go into incognito mode or something else. It's, I just took the vacation to Europe. Mm-hmm. I just bought the engagement ring. I no. just did this. I just, you know, whatever no. else. Too yeah, late. it's like, Too late. You, you've missed me. Yeah. Where, where were you a week ago? Where were you a day ago? Mm-hmm. So we don't have to basically, you know, there's a lot of people sweating and spending a lot of energy trying to solve that problem. We're saying, we're... We, so we choose to solve a, other problems. It's a uniquely different way of looking at it. It's completely different. It's, I think it's, a, I think it's just different. Yeah. Period. So let's, let's shift. Different. In. Yeah, let's talk about um, mobile and how you guys see kind of desktop and mobile uh, playing together. So tell us how you guys are thinking about kind of the mobile landscape. I'm sure there's some similarities to what you guys are offering desktop. Sure. And, and mobile and how are you guys kind of marrying those two together. The, the beautiful part of our technology is we don't care if it's mobile or desktop. Certainly we optimize, we serve a different ad, but our matching technology says, I know what this page is about. Mm-hmm. So we can look at different performance trends and we can help, you know, help improve the effectiveness of someone's spend by saying this ad works better on these pages in mobile, this ad works better here. But when it comes to saying, is this page somewhere I want to be, pull it up on your iPad, pull it up on your phone, pull it up. and. From audience discovery, in a sense of, you know, we talked about kind of that, you know, that Nissan airbag recall showing up in the small town paper. That's finding you a page or a site you'd never buy. We also find marketers people they'd never buy. So if you guys, you know, you may be here and, and researching, you know, mics or windscreens or other podcast promotion techniques. Or click, click car. There you go. Mm-hmm. Click, click car. Whoops. You Jones. go home, you pick up the family tablet, you search on something there your wife, your kid, someone else, mm-hmm. now suddenly yep. they're a podcaster. It's all they're right. in market for this material. It's all and Link anyways in my house. <laughs> that's right. Makeup tips. What's the story with that? But yeah, but, perfect you know, example. That's something that a lot of people are struggling to solve. How do I know who's on the tablet right now? Mm-hmm. Our phones we don't share as much. It's yeah. all kind of a personal thing. But a tablet or a family computer or something in the office right. between shifts or just before and after dinner, anyone else could be there. So a lot of this tech, again, people are sweating and putting late nights into how do we figure out who's in front of the glass now? I don't know. How about you look at what they're reading? How about you look it at just seems so what obvious, they're reading right guess, now? It's important, yeah. right? Yeah. Right now. At this moment. In the, in the snap of a finger. I don't care if, if, if we do a, a, a relay race at the keyboard, it's who's reading this article? Right. Yeah. And you, yeah, just flip the tab over and it can be right. you know, something completely different. So, the, I mean, that's, I think, the beauty of mobile performs well for us. I think it, it's, 
you know, it's again a great signal of someone who's shopping or doing something else. You could be in the dealership and you're trying to get a better price. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we benefit from that lift of you're, you're already biased to take some action because you took the phone out of your pocket, right. you're doing something, you're looking for something, whereas online at, at home, you might just be clicking through and killing time, right? So, um, you know, we see good performance Nobody there. does that. Never. Or, or, or no, at home. No, there's no shopping during the day between nine and five, come on. So how do you guys, um, let's talk about another kind of industry topic that's, that's very topical. And I, you know, over the course of the last month, I was in LA, weeks ago and viewability came up almost every conversation yep and so viewability what's happening in kind of the digital ecosystem as jason was we talked about earlier in the in the show how do you know who is watching is that a real human being who's watching you know an ad that is viewable it's in the viewable screen is kind of the general term for is is the ad viewable so agencies know that a lot of that phenomenon of you know carpet bombing the bottom of a page which was something that was quite popular several years ago, um, you know, with viewability, now they're paying on a vCPM, uh, or some are, meaning instead of paying for a full CPM or cost per thousand, instead of paying, you know, $10 for a thousand consumers, they're now paying on a viewable CPM. So agencies and marketers are just getting smarter about how they're buying media. How are you guys thinking about viewability? Is it the same sort of agnosticism that you guys are thinking about viewability? Because it's very important to marketers. Obviously, marketers want the best bang for their buck. Um, and, um, and publishers, I would think, are a little bit vulnerable, but talk a little bit about how you guys are thinking about viewability. Sure. Uh, we are agnostic from the sense of it's not something we think is a proprietary um, problem for us to solve. So we've partnered with you know, the, the DSPs and the folks that have plugged into them. Those, those are the auction houses where we're buying our inventory. So we pick up the cost to screening in advance saying, you know, is this impression human? Is this impression from an IP that's been trusted? Is this impression something that Comscore or some other vendor thinks is above the fold or double verify integral ad science? So we've kind of said, these are the yardsticks that marketers are trusting. So we're not gonna be so arrogant to build our own. We're gonna say, you like them, you trust them, go with it. Uh, But what we found as we've done that, you know, it's certainly passed muster and people saluted and said, thank you, that's good. But we found that they say, you know what, these guys, aren't that great at it and they don't really know, especially when it comes to the blocking of inappropriate content or adult content or alcoholic beverage content. We see things blocked all the time, you know, celebrity celebrity gossip, uh, swimsuit content. And we say, well, this is a domain like the Daily Mail of London. I'm sure there is celebrity gossip. I'm sure there is swimsuit content, but this article is about, you know, I don't know, Greece and, and the monetary issues. So we're buying this for someone who's trying to reach institutional investors. Yes, there may be other stuff elsewhere on the Daily Mail you know, site, but why wouldn't you let us buy it? Why are you blocking it? So we've increasingly, you know, with, with uh, trusted partners, been kind of dialing some of that back and turning it off because, because we're cherry picking these right pages, mm-hmm. you don't need that extra layer. You don't need that filter. Uh, for viewability, you know, I think some of it's a pricing negotiation and some of it is you really don't know, especially when it comes to mobile, the technology is, is all over the map in terms of how are you really saying it's in view and how do you know someone actually saw it or not, right? 
right? You're, you're looking at pixels, you're looking at, did someone open an email window over that ad as it was playing? Well, did they still have the audio on? Were they half listening? And then it comes back to radio, TV, magazine, print. You know, you're not necessarily reading every ad as you flip through People Magazine. You walk out of the room when the commercials come on the 10 o'clock news. So um, it, it's th that hard line of we're only gonna pay for viewable impressions is, is something that all ad tech companies are dealing with. But uh, our approach to it is we take whatever yardstick, whatever benchmark someone wants to use, and we apply it, and, and we buy only what's blessed. Yeah, and, and, and on mobile, and you know, there's a lot of uh, this is kind of a segue, a little bit back to mobile. But you know, in mobile, there seems to be there's a lot of I think the data is according to eMarketer, like with accidental clicks on mobile, right? So there's, and we all do it. We scroll on our phone, and we're like, oh, crap! I just I was playing, you know. Toka Boca Fairy or whatever, you know, a Tutti Frutti game or something, and then I was I accidentally clicked on an ad. So how do you guys, uh, is that something that you guys are, are hearing in the marketplace in terms of like, hey, look, if it's a viewable impression, this kind of a thing that is now being, you know, uh, how people are buying, with accidental clicks, half of mobile clicks are bogus, right? So meanwhile, agencies are showing, hey, look at these awesome metrics. It's like, half of those are bogus. You know, how are you guys, is that something that you guys are facing in, in kind of the mobile sphere? I mean, how do you guys, like from a pricing standpoint, do you guys do like a typical CPM kind of pricing? We do. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'd say it's, uh, it's an industry factor out there that, um, you know, publishers are actively trying to solve with site layouts and design and things like that. Uh, I don't think we're any more or less exposed to it. It's just part of the nature of the beast when uh, when you're out there. I think one thing we do solve for and helping avoid that though is by making sure an ad only runs where it's relevant, you're going to run into even the people who might fat finger it are probably someone who's, you know, has a has an interest in the product. So by narrowing the pool and being more specific in the, the type of people where we're running an ad with a lot of those kind of accidental issues that are just industry-wide, we blunt the force of it somewhat. Got it. And, and then pricing, are you guys seeing any shifts either on desktop or mobile away from CPM and more cost per action, CPX as it's called, whether it's DCPV or DCPM, yeah. um, or even in the, in the mobile space, it's like viewable you know, uh, video, video views, cost per view, um, cost per click, cost per whatever. Are you guys seeing more um, campaigns like that or more um, demand for that? those kinds of pricing models? Uh, I wouldn't say more per se. We, we do almost all of our business on a CPM basis. In video, we do cost per completed view, which, uh, you know, because we align the ad with someone who's interested, it works out very well for us to say, we're really only showing it to people who are actually not going to race to hit that skip button because they have the condition that the drug is meant to solve or they're in market for the product that you're seeing. So cost per completed view is kind of our first foray down that path. But I've, I've written you know, a handful of case studies around you know, how we've really hit it out of the park with cost per engagement or cost per acquisition. We don't sell that way, but we've developed a reputation for delivering really high quality leads. So I'll tell you, you know, we don't try to keep up with the Joneses and compete on stuff where someone will come, we had a client a couple of weeks ago said, you don't have the highest click-through rate of everyone out there. And the attribution models that say, who was the last person that showed them the ad before I made the sale, those don't really favor you either. But when we look at the quality of the lead, we look at the person you're sending us, and we look at do they ultimately 
take the test drive? Do they download the software? Do they convert? It's the conversion. You're sending us real humans that actually want to buy our product. So we're going to shift money to you. It's telling us that those other higher click-through rates might be overstated, mm -hmm. that the conversion models are gamed by people who say, I'm going to buy the bottom of the page on Yahoo Mail because you check Yahoo Mail every hour. So yeah. my odds in the roulette game are very likely that I'm going to be the last ad you see. They said, we're onto those games. We know that. You actually find us the people we want to talk to. So uh, we, we stay priced on CPM because that's where our cost is as, as the intermediary who's going out and kind of you know taking the spaghetti strainer and saying, let's just find those impressions we want. Our costs go up the more we buy. So we price on CPM, but uh, we posted some really good returns on cost per acquisition where you know there was a pharma example where someone was paying these data guys you know $90 a lead of someone to go you know go to their doctor and ask to take the drug. We came in at a third of that because we're not buying any data on patients and then mm -hmm. trying to stalk and find them. We're saying if you have diabetes, what do you read? And it's not just about you know medication or managing your condition. Mm -hmm. You read other things too. Like you're, lifestyle. You're more, I mean, lifestyle. lifestyle while you have an affliction, whether it's diabetes or right. something else, right? It's like you, you do other things. It's like car shoppers are not necessarily always on admins or KBD. They also do other things. And I think some of the third-party auto sites, to segue a little bit, um, they tend to think that like that's all car shoppers do. No, they don't. I mean, they're that shopping period's ninety days. That's not. They're not only on Kelly Blue Book. They're not only on Auto Trader for ninety days straight. Mm -hmm. That would be a boring person. But anyways, they, they and if you retarget them, they're planning their kid's birthday party, and you know that's not the time that they're thinking about the car, right? Yeah. So you've wasted that impression, or you know you you've oversaturated your frequency, or you're annoying somebody who's like, look, I get it. You, you have just ignore it because. That's just natural for somebody to be to filter that out while you're looking to figure out how to, you know, go to Chuck E. Cheese. You just right. don't care. I mean, if you, but if you're on that and you're in that mode, you're going to see it. It's, it's, it's there. You, you nailed the sweet spot of what we do. The KBBs, the Edmonds, you know, that's a good viable channel. You obviously are going to reach car shoppers there. We complement it by saying in that 90 days they're in market, where else can you reach them? And not just saying, I'm going to follow them wherever they are, whatever yeah. they're doing. Where else can you reach them? We're going to say, you know what? I did mean to go in and do that test drive. Hey, honey, let's do that this Saturday because mm -hmm. we, we really want to get in before the, the a, Labor Day sale. That's a great point about you know, all the different sites like KBB, though. People are going to do 27 hours of research on it. They don't necessarily care. They don't need to see a dealership ad right now because right. that last that last three hours of that 30-hour transaction that's when they need to see that. They don't need to see it while they're on KBB all the time. But you're right. If you can determine that they're in market in other ways, that's pretty powerful. And that's where we get that's, into that's uh, where that's where the that's where that truck ad just that isn't. Yes. You know. So you're now now you're finding places where it's just non-obvious. I like to call it our powerful. inception moment. Oh wow! There you go. Yeah, so That's if, the word. if you think about it, moment, right? there you go. Haptic inception. Haptic. Uh, <laughs> uh, so if you, think, if, if you think about it, my favorite example in this case is an article about what to tell your son or daughter that they're going to have a sibling. How do you tell little Johnny or Susie that they're going to have a brother or sister? What a perfect place to run an ad for a minivan. Mm -hmm. you, you're so excited about the news or terrified about the news. How do we pay for two colleges? You haven't even thought about, we probably need more room in the family car. Mm -hmm. There's probably not enough room for another car yeah. seat in the old sedan or whatever right, it is. Right, right. You're not, none of these people 
have a signal on you. You haven't right. filled out a warranty card. You haven't right. filled out a survey. You haven't you done anything. You might be avoiding those things. That's right. Because you know that you're just putting yourself into a funnel somewhere right. else that's just going right. to flo flood you with information. That's so... So now we're higher than upper funnel. Right. You didn't even really start thinking about your car purchase yet, but you're reading this thing. You're in the mindset. You have the intent of my expanding family. And suddenly there's the, you know, five-star crash test rated best family minivan on the market. And you say, mm -hmm. yep, I'm finally one of those dads. I'm going to have to get the minivan. Right. Wow. What, who else is going to find that guy at that moment right. on his tablet, on his smartphone, on something else? These, these data segments, which I don't, I don't want to say that there's no value to them, but they're not going to be able to achieve that same result. Again, it's like the context and the relevance, right? Back to the, kind of the original thought about what makes you guys a little bit different. It's the, it's the relevance, right? And that is, that is relevant. It's not a taxonomy. Right. They're trying to, everything else up here seems to be taking a taxonomy and trying to figure out how to put the fence around yeah. all these different things, but it seems to be coming from the other direction. So the, the how to tell your kid that they're getting a sibling, what do you file that under? It's not car and tender. Right. It's not parenting. Maybe it's parenting. It's self-help. I don't know. What do you call that? And right. whatever you call it, would Toyota buy it to promote their minivan? Probably not. Not with that label. You that wouldn't go to an alphabetical list, list and pick right. it. That direction one. Yeah. We talked a lot about cars. We get how that works with it. We're talking a lot, even pharmaceuticals, and that makes perfect sense for me, especially when you're talking about people with a specific condition for, for you know, pharmaceuticals. Like, what's some other examples of, of industries or case kind of study type of whatever? Sure. How else, how else does it work? Give me, give me an idea. You know, we, we've had fun with it, uh, again, on, on our blog with uh, some of these infographics just going around saying, you know, hey, we were curious, how do the big summer blockbusters, you know, Avengers, Transformers, what have you, how does that compare to holiday movies? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we discover fun things like because of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Miracle on 34th Street, there's an enormous amount of consumption, people reading and caring about holiday movies, right. compared to these summer blockbusters that you think are the biggest grossing movies of the year. Mm -hmm. So the box office gross doesn't necessarily align with where you're going to reach these people online. That's interesting. Uh, so, you know, we can get into the timing or the nature. Right. We've so, done it with politics. This was one on holiday shopping where we said, you know, Cyber Monday, there's yeah. twice the amount, the green bar, twice the amount of people going out and researching Cyber Monday deals because yeah. cyber, obviously. Right. But, you know, spending yeah. is dwarfed by Black Friday. It's just Black Friday. People still gather around the paper circulars on Thanksgiving and mm -hmm. go bang down the door. So and wait like freaks. I, I'll never get that phenomenon, but... They're camping out for two days to oh get a tchotchke for... I guess. It's I, a sport. It doesn't even have anything to do with it. It's about buying something. It's, it's about, sport. I'm in line first, I'm going to run down there, I'm going to trip and fall and get stampeded or something like that. Yeah. That's what it's all about. It's, right. it's like, it's like the Barcelona, what's, is it Barcelona? What's the, uh, the running of the bulls? Running of the running bulls. Running of the bulls, yeah. it is. Or the tomato thing. That's the running of the bulls. Never mind. We've done it again. Uh, yeah. uh, the tomato, <laughs> the tomato thing. thing. Right. That's your hashtag. But see, that's how you can tell whether or not somebody was really interested in holiday movies. It's all about tomatoes. And you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't. Until you use this. No idea. Yeah. But so what, it's okay. Back to yeah, no. What no, I, I mean, what did I do? No, not that I wanted to derail anything, but I just did. <laughs> tomatoes. Right. Um, you know, I, I, we, we found great success helping marketers um, 
you know, be in the right place when news breaks. Right. So, you know, I talked about a product recall. There can be good news, bad news. It can be, you know, whatever's out there, but we follow the consumer attention. So mm -hmm. we've had fun with the presidential race, looking at each candidate as they've joined the Republican side. You know, how much buzz did they generate? How quickly did it fall off? And what it all goes to show is that that model you're talking about, writing the I.O., setting your budget, it's just not really compatible with the way content runs today. You have to be there ready, primed to activate in order to take advantage of something. But we've, uh, we've enjoyed uh, good kind of uh, ongoing relationships with you know, a big department store that's used us to promote um, you know, clothing to, to certain demographics or an insurance agent that wanted to say you know, LGBT is important to us, we want to be around civil unions and gay weddings, and mm -hmm. we want to show you know, not only our solidarity with that community, but we want to help promote you know, homeowners insurance and other things that will come as a result of these things. Again, a keyword's not really going to help you find that stuff. You're right. going to get op-eds and screeds and all kinds of stuff, but we can really laser in on stuff. There's keywords everywhere about sure. the whole entire world. Just it's like it was like Ebola. I mean, it just, it, the market gets flooded with all these stories. How do you find the right context for it? Right, Ebola is a great one. Everybody's trying to news jacket, and yep, and then bam, you know. It's, and so if you had something for public health officials trying to work on the Ebola situation, mm -hmm. how would you take out all the tourists? You brought up in the car example, someone who just likes the Mustang and likes its history and is just mm -hmm. a car porn you know, person. Someone who's 12. Right. How do you filter that out for a big news story like Ebola? Mm -hmm. And you know, what we've done is we can say we can go after scholarly journal articles. We can right. go after, you know, our model is essentially look-alike content. So, but you don't even have to do a taxonomy of that. You don't. Either, really. it's, 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 you, you're, you're pulling the information and realizing who these people are at those things. You don't have to say, oh, it's scholarly. No, it's there's no scholarly check. There's no check. So, so there's no tax on it. Right? Yeah. And, and with pharmaceutical that comes up all the time, they say, I want to reach prescribing doctors with this medicine. And we ask everyone, we ask Detroit automakers, everyone the same question. Well, what would he or she read? Mm -hmm. And so they say, well, a doctor who's prescribing this kind of medicine, they'd be reading this study in the Mayo Clinic, they'd be reading this, they'd be reading that. When we put that in as our input, yeah. we get content that doctors read. We, we don't have to put in a keyword like... Prescribing you know, doctors. Exactly. Or, you know, instead of the common Aptic, flu... Haptic doctors. Haptic doctors. <laughs> you, there's no need for anything like right. that. It, it's what would they read will find more like it. So at, a, at its base, it's look-alike, you know, it's natural language processing that's mm -hmm. saying... I'm not trying to guess the person. What are they reading? And we'll go. They're deriving meaning from it, which is interesting because that's that's kind of hard to do. It's almost like artificial consciousness. You're actually finding, you know, the, the deriving the meaning from it rather than just sort of trying to use a computer to speed read through. No speed reading. Yeah, I can speed read, but not that fast. I can't. And nor am I one of those scholarly people either. I don't check that box very often. I haven't in a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, tell us about kind of the from the what we're you know from an analytics standpoint. So after you guys have you know, you've met a client, you've understood what their objectives are, their campaign, you've made your recommendation as you should as a trusted advisor. The campaign has run. What are some maybe some good examples of like like the holy crap moment? Where your clients like this is amazing. Like what are some examples of like the analytics report that would be different yeah. that your clients are like, that, that made me want make them want to come back for more, right? Because, you know, the ad network business sometimes is like one and done and that happens all the time. We'll do a test campaign. But what are some of those kind of eurekas that you guys, maybe anecdotally, just, you know, clients like, this is amazing stuff. It's working. Let's do more. What was that? A holy crap moment? Yeah, a holy crap moment. It's, hang on. 
Hashtag holy crap moment. Mm -hmm. Got it. What better what better measure of success with the marketer than a holy crap moment? That is I mean, that we we've been privileged to be in you know in meetings where we've said you know we've helped teach someone about their audience. We've helped them discover something they didn't know before. So you know maybe it was you know more people are reading about these kind of meals on Wednesdays than any other day of the week. Or you know for an auto manufacturer we uh, tested creative and targets around 16 different safety features of the car. And we help them understand which safety features really you know, resonated with people, or which were the most researched, what people cared about. Again, it's, it's not how many people searched on Google, how many beat writers at Motor Trend wrote about it, but no, that side airbag really isn't as important as you think. People right. are going after the, you know, I don't know, Bluetooth speakerphone or whatever right. it might be to keep hands free. It's information, not data. You asked the question perfectly, so I'm just going to ask answer like you. Yeah, the holy, the holy, the holy crap moments. Yes. Right? What are what are the holy crap moments? So you know, uh, the holy crap moments I think are what we strive for when we report back to someone, both on delivery during a campaign and what we saw about the marketplace before a campaign. So we helped uh, a big cell phone manufacturer look at the product releases of their competitors and say, let's plot the cycle, that inevitable cycle of rumors, the announcement, the big launch date with everyone lined up like Black Friday, then all the reviews and the griping and stuff like that afterwards. Let's look at that cycle so the next time an iPhone comes out, you can conquest it, you can jump on top of it, and you can be there with why your camera's better or something else like mm -hmm. that. Uh, and then we had fun with it and we said, all right, if that was successful, where else do we find people when they're switching their cell phones? Hmm, let's look at everyone griping about the latest iOS release. Let's look at everyone griping about this. What a perfect place to go promote your product. So again, it's helping marketers find the environment where their message is really gonna resonate. Uh, here in Detroit, you know, we helped a truck manufacturer say, I wanna be around opening day of hunting season in all the different states. You really can't put that too easily on a calendar, but you can sure follow the news as it happens. Mm -hmm. And we taught them, wow, it was a particularly brutally cold start to hunting season in Minneapolis. Here's what we saw in the content. Here's what worked, here's what didn't. So it, it really uh, responds to the news cycles. Or you know, a couple examples in analytics, you know, what luxury features of a new sedan are being mentioned more than another. Or for a big home improvement chain, we helped show them that they had a co-op program advertising grout. And we found that by the time someone's researching how to put the grout on, or what's the best type of grout, or what do I do with my grout, they're deep into their project and they're really not going to be influenced by a banner ad. Right. We showed them in the spring, it was like May and June, people reading about open houses and raising the value of their home before they put it on the market had an enormous click-through rate. Mm -hmm. Guess what? They're deciding, I've got 5K, I want to raise my home's value, what project do I do around the house? Yeah. Ah, I'll regrout the bathroom, I'll regrout mm -hmm. the kitchen, and they're persuaded down to buy this manufacturer's right. brand of grout. You'd think you'd want to buy pages about, so you're retiling your bathroom, what do you do? Well, it's too late. Yep. They're already, they're yep. already they found the brand. They yeah. Yeah. They're going right back to the same aisle to talk to the same old guy. And you can, you can probably, I would imagine you can take a look at historical data to that point, right? If there's sure. certain cycles for people doing remodeling or, you know, buying convertibles might be another example. Like, right. I mean, generally speaking, you know, the buying season for convertibles is, you know, probably February, March, April, maybe May. That's kind of the buying season. But like those kinds of insights, that's mm -hmm. kind of value that you can say, hey, like, let's, let's get ahead of the curve, right? If you get, a, get an RFP from a, from a marketer, for example, let's say they're selling bicycles, right? Well, there's probably some selling... There's a selling season around bikes, and I would imagine yeah. it's spring as well. 
um, but maybe not. Maybe there's some insights that you can show that, hey, historically, here's what happens. It happened in 2014. Here's some, here's some blips. You might want to start getting more content that's related to this or selling a used bike, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, how often, you know, how early is someone looking at selling a used car before they go and make their purchase decision? Well, we can look at the content around that. Are there, is there seasonality around, you know, what do I do to get the best trade-in value on my car? Are there certain times a year that people are thinking of that or aren't? And it may or may not validate what you see at the cash register or in the dealership. Um, and that's important to know because, all right, so now we know there's a lag of three months between when we see our sales spike and when everyone's online researching it. What do we do in that three months to stay top of mind, to make sure they come in to my store or my hotel or things like that? You know, we hear a lot about marketers saying, when someone's in my dealership, in my grocery store, in my hotel, I can personalize the experience. I know it's Brad, I know it's Mike, I can make their phone open their room at the hotel, I can tell them you know, what favorite breakfast cereal is on sale. When I go online, everything's abstracted to a demo, or a cookie, or a guess, or this faith-based you know, ad targeting of, I think I'll find people like Brad and Mike there. What we're trying to do is say, if you know that much about Brad and Mike, you probably know what they're reading when you can influence mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Let's try that instead. Let's roll the dice. Let's see which of those articles. You're rolling the dice anyways, right? Well, with the, with the faith-based approach, right? You're just kind of rolling the dice anyway. Mm -hmm. So you know, this has a little bit more, you know, a little bit of art and science to it, where you're kind of marrying, you know, some thoughtfulness and some insights and you know, information versus versus data, right? Um, so it's it's a very unique approach to to art and science. I like to say we're putting the logic back into it. You'd never advertise a big pickup truck in a knitting magazine, but if either of you went to you know a great aunt's house for a holiday and were researching the new pickup truck as you fixed her Internet Explorer and upgraded her to Chrome and you know sneakily did that on the desktop, well now suddenly someone selling your great aunt at a premium of ten dollars a thousand yeah. is a truck contender, <laughs> right? So you'd never in go print, you'd never put that truck ad in Granny's Knitting right. Magazine, right. but we just did that in digital. Unless your one little her. search just did that, and now Granny's being shown trucks for the next mm -hmm. three months, six months, year, however old that data gets. So that's the kind of stuff where, you know, we, we said we know we can do better, we think there's a better way, and we're having a lot of fun proving it. Cool. Cool. Well, I think we're at that part of the show now where we retire to the corner of Stone Barrel House and become overserved. Look forward to it. And uh, that's, that's really the only re the real reason why we do this show. So uh, thanks for coming on, Jason Jedlinski. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Yep, thanks for being on board. Until next time.